I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed, too, at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Well, I think I've got my work cut out for me this morning. Let's uh, just come before our God in a moment of uh, prayer, humbling ourselves before him as we open up his word. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you. We thank you that we can, in freedom, even advertising these services, we can come and worship you and, importantly, we can open up your word. The word that you have inspired, the word that you gave to so many writers over the thousands of years. We thank you that here we find you speaking to us, an authority that is like none other. You're the one who raises up kingdoms, you're the one who tears them down. You're the one who was appointed where each nation and each power should reside at any particular time in history. You're the one who through Jesus is building the kingdom, which when completed, he will return. And so, Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you, we humble ourselves and pray that your spirit will open up our hearts wide to hear what you have to tell us today. And may we go on our, re, on our way rejoicing, being through your spirit all the more determined to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, our text um, is that um, uh, verse um, that you might be wondering about uh, with regard to a woman will be child, uh, saved through childbirth so long as she continues in faith, in love, proprietary, etc. So I'm sure there's lots of questions, but there are answers. God doesn't leave us out on a limb. And so today's Mother's Day, so I thought it would be a great passage to have for Mother's Day. 
People today are busy celebrating uh, mothers. There'll be visits going on. And isn't that great? Lockdown's lifted. We're actually able, if we have the opportunity, to go and visit our mothers. And I'm sure those who are in nursing homes or hospitals who normally don't have regular interactions every day with their family are going to be able to get those visits today. They're going to be greatly blessed and those who go and visit will be greatly blessed. And all sorts of things are being done today because it's Mother's Day. Businesses are going to be really joyful that once more they're going to be able to trade. They missed out on Valentine's Day here in Perth uh, not so long ago. So, you know, hospitality, you know, those who sell flowers and chocolates, they're going to be busy and they're thankful because it's Mother's Day. But one of the most special places Mother's Day is celebrated today is in churches across the nation. Here, God's blessing is sought. Here, God's blessing is seen. Here, we praise and thanks God for what he's provided. And so in the church too, mothers are a focus but a focus that shines light on God. Gets us to look at what he's given to us in such a special gift. But to really understand this passage and to see what scripture says here about the blessing of motherhood, we really need to understand our context. As we celebrate motherhood today, what is it that we see and experience in our world today? While we celebrate motherhood and we give thanks to God, throughout the nation, in all sorts of ways, the value of mothers is being devalued. It's being undermined. Uh, In February, you may have heard that at the Australian National University, uh, a group of experts, the the ANU uh, board makes it quite clear, um, or at least I want to try and make it quite clear, that it's not their official policy. This is the, uh, you know, the freedom of academic study and, and expression that some experts have produced a booklet in the ANU to be used within the ANU saying that you should not be using the word mother and you shouldn't be using the word breastfeeding. What is needed to be done is talk about birthing parent and chest feeding. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But this is all part of what's going on in terms of debunking what God has set out in creation with regard to the genders. We're told today that there are not two genders, male and female. In fact, today you can be anything you declare yourself to be. Don't know if you realise that, depending upon what list you go to, you can identify yourself gender-wise by about 57 different gender identities. In uh, Tasmania in April uh, 2019, the government passed uh, a decision to say that you no longer on the birth certificate have to specify gender because you can leave it to your child to determine what gender he or she wants to be. Let's have a look at a slide with regard to this week, this week ender uh, from the Australian. Mothers group in turmoil over chest feeding pressure. You know what the organisation is? The Australian Breastfeeding Association. And they are seeking to be gender neutral and with a LGBTQ plus um, 
um, organisation called Rainbow Families, at a cost of $20,000 over two years, they produced a book for the Australian Breastfeeding Association to guide them as to how they should indeed be talking. They have counsellors and they want to guide the counsellors on how they should talk to mothers. Comes back to this whole thing about birthing parent and chest feeding. One counsellor, apparently there's a real backlash going on, one counsellor, I'll just read this to you, one counsellor critical of the new booklet spoke on condition of anonymity citing the threat of complaints and even disciplinary action, otherwise known as cancel culture. Anyone who speaks up is cancelled. She said the majority of the organisation's members have no idea what's going on. They, that's the members, identify very strongly as mothers and value and love the single sex space the mother-to-mother space and the, that the association has always provided, she said. The queer theory influence publication, that's the booklet, undermines breastfeeding and mothers and science and female biology and mother-to-mother support, she said. That's what's going on in terms of gender. This is the context in which we live and celebrate Mother's Day today. Uh, thanks for that, you can take that down. But it's not the only thing we see in terms of the context in which we live as church today and celebrate Mother's Day today. Christianity as a whole, Christianity as the the faith in in the risen Christ and the worship of only one God is under attack. Recently, our Prime Minister, um, just only a couple of weeks ago, had two major speeches, one to a Christian conference and one to a Jewish association. In both, he declared his faith and and how it influenced his work and and how it found expression in his work. In last week's uh, Weekend Australian, um, the editor took issue with those who detracted with regard to what the Prime Minister had said. There was a pile-on. You know what a pile-on is, don't you? People were piling on and criticising him for what he had to say at those venues. This is what the editor said about those people. He said there, the loathing of our nation's Christian tradition that has served us well and the hostility of prominent voices, note that prominent voices, did them no credit. Note that, the loathing of our Christian values and the hostility. That's what's going on today with regard to our faith within the, the community, especially amongst those in the media and also in the universities. And then, of course, there's been that draft curriculum that's been released. And one headline in one newspaper said, Christian heritage sacrificed in shake-up. Christian heritage sacrificed in shake-up. And you might say, what on earth is going on? Well, we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible, for over 2,000 years, has told us precisely what's going on. We need to be alert. We need to remember what our world is doing. In Romans uh, chapter 1, 28 to 31, it says this, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind and to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. 
They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Boy, that sounds familiar. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Don't know about you, but that pretty much sums up the world as I know it. And this is especially witnessed on social media. Ever heard of the Twitter sewer? Lots of media describe the Twitter as a sewer. Because people in their anonymity can say anything they like and they say the most horrendous, horrific, destructive things. It's in this context the church exists today. It's in this context that we have Mother's Day. And we need to understand it's not just the Christian church that's under attack, but motherhood as well. So where do we stand? What do we believe about motherhood? What did God create and what did he mean by what he created? That's what we want to explore today. One thing we do know for sure before we proceed is that God's not ashamed to be identified as a mother. We've got a beautiful passage in Isaiah 66, verse 13, where God's speaking about Israel and and their feelings with regard to the things that were going to happen to to Jerusalem because of the, the punishments God was going to bring on them and the exile that was to come. It says, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. God pictures himself in the terms of a mother. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. So we've got this strange sounding text. Women will be saved through childbirth, so long as they continue in faith, love, propriety, etc. What do we make of it? Well, as always is the case, and this is a reformational rule concerning understanding your Bible, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture and you have to understand things in their context. Don't cherry-pick, don't just take out a verse. Understand what's going on in the whole of the, the, the chapter, the whole of the book, and its place in the Bible. So let's understand this first of all. First Timothy is written to a young guy who is as you say, being trained to, to be uh, someone to take over after the apostles. He'd been working with Paul, gone to a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and was left there by Paul as Paul continued further forward in other places, was left in Ephesus to deal with problems in the church. Now, this is crucial. He was there to deal with issues that had arisen within this, this young church. And the issues had largely to do with false teachers. These false teachers were teaching that um, the the body being matter is evil. And the only really important thing is that which was spiritual. And to attain the the highest level of of spiritual awareness and blessing, etc., what you needed was special knowledge. This led to all sorts of wrong uh, expressions within the community, as we'll see in a little while. But the main thing is to understand that's what Timothy was there for, to deal with errors in the church. 
And so when you go to chapter 2, you find that, and 2 and 3 are very well-known passages, but chapter 2 is dealing with worship. What we're doing today. Timothy was dealing at Paul's command. He was dealing with issues to do with public worship. That's important to note. He's not dealing with the home. He's not dealing with the workplace. He's dealing with public worship. And in chapter 2, you get that well-known passage with regard to elders and deacons, etc. He's dealing with leadership because these false teachers were undermining the leadership of the church. So it's in that second chapter dealing with worship that we find our text this morning. The first part of that chapter dealt with how the congregation should pray for those who are kings and in authority. Just like we should be praying for our prime minister and our premier and our government. Um, here, uh, Paul says, or Paul to Timothy, that we should pray for our leaders and authority for the sake of the gospel. God wants to save people. And therefore, pray for, for your leaders so that we'll have quiet lives. Why? So that the gospel can get out, so that we have an environment where, undisturbed, we can share Christ to others. It's always the gospel that Paul's got in focus. It's always getting the good news about Jesus out. He's the only way for people to be saved. So pray for those in authority. The second thing he... he and, and, and apparently that wasn't happening. That's why he introduces it here. Second thing is in verse 8, it's men that are the focus. And apparently there was division and there was a lot of animosity in the church when they got together, just like in Corinth. When you go to 1 Corinthians, you find that there was a lot of division in the church. So too in Ephesus. And what does Paul command there? That they should come and lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and without disputation. Because apparently they weren't coming to worship God, but their worship was filled with anger and it was filled with argument. And so Paul corrects that. When you come... Lift up, lift up your prayers, but without anger and without disputation. And so the last part, the part that we find our text in, has to do with women, women's role in the church. And the first thing he says is about dress. And before you get too defensive, this isn't laying down a code as to what you're allowed to wear in church. You know what this is all about? When you come to church who do you want to be the centre of attention? Do you want it to be you drawing attention by what you wear or do you want it to be God? Because what was going on in what the women were wearing, it was distracting from what the real focus was. It was supposed to be God in worship. Women were not just having braided hair, there was no problem with braided hair as such, but they were, like the Roman women, having very expensive jewellery and pearls in it as some commentators say, sometimes the value of what they had in their hair was years' worth of wages. They are more concerned about their dress than their worship. So that needed to be corrected. Let them dress modestly. Let them worship God as they should. He's correcting a problem. And then it comes to leadership in the church, especially teaching. This isn't a rule for outside the church. This is a rule within the church. And he mentions the fact that women shouldn't teach. You know what's really interesting here? The reason he gives is a reason set in a time before the fall. 
This isn't a situation that, well, okay, the the world has fallen down, it's become corrupt, therefore the roles between men and women have become corrupt, and therefore this is no good. Let's get back to the way it was before the fall. No, Adam was created first happened before the fall. The deception happened before the fall. When the deception took place, and only after Adam ate the apple, by, by the way, The world didn't fall into sin because of Eve. The world fell into sin because of Adam. Take a look at Romans 5. He was the federal head. He was the one who was the representative of humanity. Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 is the last, not Eve, he's the last Adam. And so Paul is correcting something here. He says, within the church, women shouldn't teach. Let's go back to the creation order, he says. And in CRCA churches, that's where we've got it. Uh, It's the men who preach, not the women. But women can do anything else. It's got nothing to do with equality. It has to do with roles. Just different roles. Nothing to do with equality. And so it's in that context we get this particular teaching. Coming back to the false teachers... In 1 Timothy 4.3, this is one of the things they taught and were seeking to implement within the church. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. God created man and woman. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He said that the the man should leave his father and his mother, the two are mentioned, should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two should become one. And these teachers were saying, no, they forbade marriage. And they had all these ascetic ideas, things by which you restricted yourself, food, clothing, uh, pleasures, by this knowledge, not by Christ, but by the secret knowledge you were to attain, you would be saved. In uh, 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7, the outcome of of, uh, their teaching was uh, shown in the way women were becoming targeted. It says, They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and who are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Some suggest that this was possibly the false teachers worming their way into the, uh, the homes of very uh, wealthy women to gain their support and their money to further their cause. The church and its future and its place in the world to tell the gospel was at stake. The church was being undermined. And so in that context, having laid out those things already, Paul says, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. So let's understand, what we're reading is returning the church from where it had strayed to where it should be, based on God's creation order, the way God meant it to be. And the things that we've been looking at are precisely the things going on in our society today. We have false teachers, but this time outside the church, leading the world astray and calling the church to follow. 
rather than the church giving a lead. And so it was in that context of forbidding marriage, which was a threat to motherhood because it took uh, the role of women in terms of childbearing out of the context of that wonderful union of a, of a husband and wife, the two becoming one. But what does that text mean? Are women saved if they have babies? If that's what it meant, that would cut against what the rest of Scripture says. The rest of Scripture says we're saved by faith in Christ alone. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through childbirth. So Paul's not saying that. Remember, compare Scripture with Scripture. Scripture is its own interpreter. That's not what Paul's saying, obviously. Some of the greatest passages dealing with grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, come from Paul's own hand. Look at the text carefully. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in what? If they continue in faith. The women he was addressing here were not people who were not yet saved. These were women who already were of the faith, who had come to a knowledge of Jesus, a saving knowledge of Jesus. They needed to continue in the faith. They weren't going to be saved by childbearing. They were already saved. What they needed to do was live a sanctified life, the life of progress, of growth in Christ. This has to do with becoming more Christ-like. Look at love, holiness, propriety. If we do these things, isn't that becoming more like Jesus? They'll be saved through childbirth if they continue in the faith. You know, one of the most beautiful things we find um, in Scripture is how God chooses to use mothers to influence their children especially with regard to the relationship with him. Even with regard to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, what does Paul say about Timothy? I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which what? Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. No mention of a father here. We're not given the reason why, but it's his grandmother's faith that's mentioned. It's his mother's faith. And, Paul says, and now I see it in you. In other words, this faith is something that Timothy had been led into by his grandmother and mother. It's not just a New Testament thing. You find it in the Old Testament too. In uh, Proverbs 23, 25, May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. Talks about a son not going in a wayward way, but continuing in a steadfast way with the Lord, leaving, uh, leading a good life. May, may the one who gave you birth rejoice. I don't know if you know about the church father, Augustine. These are the church fathers who came after the apostles. 
He was a, a guy who was brought up by a believing mum. Her husband was an unbeliever. And when he left home, he got into all the wild things that young people got up to in their, their day and in our day too. Whether it was sex, money, drugs, alcohol, you name it. He got into it all. Everything that was going. You know what he's known as in church history? The son of a mother's prayers. Isn't that beautiful? The son of a mother's prayers. He came to the faith just before she died in his 30s. And when she died, we find recorded in his confessions, a document that he wrote, we find something really, really special there um, as to um, uh, his view of her. He's, re he's, he's um, recounting a prayer and he says, Now gone from my sight, who for years had wept over me, that I might live in your sight. That is, that I might live in God's sight. His mother wept over him, praying that he would live in God's presence. And he answered her prayer just before she died. Let me finish by drawing out for you what, what we've covered today so far. What is it that a mother should be concentrating on? What should, what should gain her greatest attention? First and foremost, she needs to work on that personal relationship with Jesus, her own relationship with Jesus, that she have this spirit-filled life in which she grows, that she becomes more like him in every way. That's why it says, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. In that way, she's modelling the Christian life to her children. And then with her husband, or alone if she's a single mum, she needs to teach her children God's word and God's ways. Not just model it, but she also needs to teach it. It says in Proverbs 1.8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. She needs to be there proactive, up front, teaching her children the word and the ways of the Lord. And then, like Augustine's mum, she needs to pray continually that her children grow up to live in the presence of God. She can't bring them into the presence of God. She can show the way. Only the Holy Spirit can make a hard rock of a heart soft, make it pulse with faith and love for Christ. Only the Spirit can do that. Any of you here today, especially mothers, if you've got children who have fallen away from the church, fallen away from the faith, the greatest tool the Lord has given you to bring them back is prayer. You cannot do it. But you can pray, like Monica, Augustine's mum, did. And in the Lord's will and according to his plan for your children's lives, by grace, he may yet do that for you. He may give the gift of faith that only he can give. Just think of um, Hannah with Samuel, hey? How hard that would have been to give up her son. But what joy it must have been for her to know that he was growing up in the presence of God. 
And of course, we've got that Proverbs passage, don't we? Proverbs 31. Old Testament literature, not New Testament. And what a woman, what a mother. In part, uh, we read, she buys a field. She, she considers it. I mean, she's into real estate. She's, she's doing her research. She doesn't have Google or anything like that, but she does it the old way. She does her research. She buys the field and she plants a vineyard. She imports stuff and she exports stuff. The Bible actually says she trades and she bears the fruit of her trading. I mean, this is a fantastic lady with many gifts, but she's also a wife and she's also a mother, fulfilling her roles not as an, a person not equal, but an equal person, a, a, a person who shares the image of God equally, but fulfilling the roles that God has given her to fill according to the gifts that he's given her. And look at this in, in Proverbs 31. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, reminds us of the Ephesian women. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And there's one last thing I want to close with in terms of a practical thing as to how women should concentrate as mothers on their central task. As with all people who are Christians, our central task is to glorify God. The Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith has a question, what is our chief end in life? What, what's our main goal? Why, why have we been created? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what our life is supposed to be about. And so we read in Proverbs 31, 31, Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works, what people can see, let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So there, she's getting praise. People can see there's a witness going on. But Jesus reminds us we have to go further than just getting praise for ourselves. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they, yes, may see your good deeds. But what? And glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let them see what you're doing, how you live, how you, you march to a different drum. Not the drum of the world in this gender-confused world, but according to the drum of the call of God through Christ to us, made clear in his word. And so it says in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and proprietary, with good deeds. There it is again, with good deeds. Appropriate for women who profess to worship God. It's all about God. It's all about the worship of God. As Paul said in the beginning of chapter 2, it's about the gospel. It's about the good news concerning Jesus Christ. We want this to get out. If we are like the world, then we've got nothing to share. They've already got it. But we are totally different, as, as different as black and white are. 
We need to stand out. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light on the hill. We need to stand out. We've got something entirely different to say. Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. The only way. As we close uh, this part of the service, we're going to give thanks to God. We're going to sing a hymn, an old hymn. An old hymn that again celebrates the gift of mothers to us. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices. Now listen to this. Who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Countless gifts of love, blessings abounding, but already starting from where? From the arms of our mums. What a blessing they are to us. Praise be to God for the most precious gift that we can have in our life. A gift like our mother. A mother who lives in the presence of the Lord and by God's grace leads us also into his presence. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, we give you thanks. We live in a difficult time here in Australia and also in WA. We live in a, in a world not only where people are confused by their own gender, but where all sorts of organisations, even governments, are bending over backwards, not just to affirm um, these people and, and change laws and policies to make sure that all fall into conformity with their wishes and views, but also where this alternate lifestyle, which is falling away from you, um, is promoted. And so, Father, it's so easy to avoid conflict. We, we hate conflict. We prefer peace. It's easy for us to keep quiet, but you have called us to be salt and light. You have called us to make an impact. We know, Lord, that of ourselves we can do nothing, but as we speak, Jesus, into this community, we pray that your Spirit will take up what we have to say, that your Spirit will change hearts, that those who indeed hear us will be moved to declare Jesus is Lord that they will join that throng on the last day from every tribe, language, people and nation that declare your praises, casting their crowns before you on the glassy sea. Hear our prayer we ask, O Lord, not because we're worthy, but only for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen.